0: Any further introduction? <laughs>
1: yeah. I must be—I must be becoming old. Oh, it is. It
0: fell off. Here we go. And you know, I haven't even turned the thing on. Just a minute. Turn it on. Okay. Can you hear me?
1: Can you hear me through the, this thing? Yes. Hmm.
0: Okay. Turn the other things off. Okay well uh, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to stand up here in front of you and ramble you're so you're going to hear the you're going to hear the somewhat disorganized ramblings of an old man uh when the preacher started talking about you know the emphasis on reading through the scriptures in the year and I had I've never tried to read through the Bible in a whole year so you know I've I read around the places where I want to read. Yes. The, the stuff that, that interests me most, I guess most of us do, tend to do that. But with this, I, I thought, why don't I just try that? So I had not even committed myself, I've got to be completely done, you know, by Christmas. I'm just going to do it. I'm, I'm about, I don't know, a bunch of chapters into Deuteronomy and really enjoying it. But when I got started doing it, I want you to know, I want you all to know, I have had a wonderful time, personally, between me and God, on this lesson. It's been just—I've been working on it for a couple of weeks, and I, and, I, and I can't uh, get tired of it. And I hope I'll get—I can tell you, all what I'm thinking without just crying my eyes out. So, me and the Lord have had a great time on this lesson. So I started reading again, you know, in Genesis, and I had gotten down to the bottom of the first column with a new study Bible I've got. It's called the Reformation Study Bible, written by a bunch of Presbyterians. and uh, But I'm enjoying it. And so I had my paper out started making notes, you know. And by the time I got through that, and uh, reading about the creation, and then looking at all the trouble that's in the world because of the failure of Adam and Eve, and then I got over to 15th chapter, and Abraham believed God, and he counted to it as if he were righteous. Can you believe it? Well, I said I got I got to do a Sunday school lesson on this, so then I've been working on on the lesson ever since then. So that's how that's how this came about. Is uh, just uh, a a study of re-reading things out of the Old Testament that. Uh, You know, that I hadn't just stopped and gone through it in that sort of way. And it's no more than that. It's just uh, looking at the the same good old truth again. And you know what happens when you do that. God shows you something new. There's a new emphasis. There's a new place. There's a fresh blessing all over again when we go back reading the Word of God. And it's like that because it's the Word of God. That's what the point is. Somebody help me turn this off. This thing around. I, uh well, There we go. All right. I don't know if you can read that, but uh, several years ago, I got to reading uh, the writings of Gerald Schroeder, a believing Jew, a scholar, a ma- mass uh, MIT uh, physicist, who is a is a Bible believing Jew, and I really, really enjoyed him. And my brother Harry and I put together a series of lessons on that called "Do You Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist?" Because it takes a bunch of faith to be an atheist. You gotta, you gotta run right through and disregard all the Word of God to be able to be a, an atheist. And I got to uh, reading this and started remembering some of his of of what he had said. An interesting part of how. The Bible starts off is the language of it. I'm impressed afresh how concise, precise, and clearly the first chapter of Genesis is written. Not a spare word in there at all. Simple, declarative language right straight down the line. I don't see how you could have told the story of the creation any better than it was told. It's not written down by scientists. We believe it was written down by, by Moses, and he might not have been the first one that heard it, you know, the oral traditions. And it is beautifully written. And what struck me out of it is it's written in the right order. Note not written by scientists, okay? What we believe is the inspired word of God, and if it is that, then it ought to be in the right order, shouldn't it? It ought to tell the story right. Very simply. It would be a challenge to try to say what the first page, in a page and a half, the creation story is told. In a page and a half. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just blurts it right straight out there. Want to know where we came from? In the beginning. So I decided to call this lesson In the Beginning, because it's that's where we're starting back at, in the beginning of Scripture. And it's interesting how this is written. This, um... Schroeder talks about this. The story of the creation is written from the view that a man would get standing on the surface of the earth. Not written from a different view. Not written from some view from a satellite. But the view off the surface of the earth. And he says, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the face of the deep. So here is a world, it's the description of our world in chaos. An early, you know, planet just being formed, just coming together. Uh, the, 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 the land and the sea are still very much mixed. There is no, uh, firmament. There is no, uh, clarity. The water in the surrounding the planet and the water that's on the planet are all in a mess and it produces a chaotic looking picture. And it produces darkness. But, it says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. That creative Spirit of our God who is bringing, if you will, the world in, into its being. And it's it, and so we, we get a picture now of the early, early earth where no, no, no one could have lived. It's a chaotic place and it's dark and it's a mess. And on day one, it says, and God said, let there be light. It's wonderful how every one of the days are started out, and God said, let there be. And God saw that it was good. There's your, there's your repetition. And God said, let there be this, let there be that. And God saw that it was good. And so the first thing we see that there is the, the beginning of light. And light is always uh light is always seen as truth and clarity. Um, the the uh Jewish words for this will talk about um, order and disorder. And always the disorder precedes the order. And it's interesting how the first day is described, and when you get to the end of the first day, there was evening and there was morning first day. Uh-uh. There's morning and then evening, the first day. According to us, not according to Jewish traditions. The day, when does the day begin? The day begins at sunset, right? When you do the Sabbath, Sabbath starts at sunset and goes till the next morning. There is darkness. Darkness equals disorder. Darkness equals chaos. The verbiage in the Jewish language Hebrew will do that. And therefore, light is equated with order, and order with brightness. And so we have, and God saw that the light was good, separated the light from the darkness, called the light day, and the darkness he called night. But now that's just the early part of light. It's interesting that if you look at how this is divided up, I'm not going to get through this lesson. (laughs) All all the best part of it, you don't care. We'll have to do it another time. Look at the pairing up. day one pairs with day four, day two pairs with day five, day three pairs with day six. Here is the beginning of bringing order in day one. And we get over to day four and it says, and God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. Now, you could fault the, the Genesis description <coughs> see it's foolishness. He doesn't have the sun and the moon being made till the fourth day. And as we know that the sun is a whole lot more, uh, uh, you know, is the father, if you will, of the earth or the planets. The sun drew all the stuff in to make the planets. No, remember I said this thing is being looked at from the standpoint of a man standing on the face of the earth. You can't see anything on the first day. In fact, any man who had been on the earth on the first day would have been a dead duck because there's, there wouldn't even have been oxygen to breathe in the atmosphere and the atmosphere would have been like walking in a cloud. You can't see anything even though God is beginning to separate the darkness and the light. you got to go over to the fourth day of creation before the water in the atmosphere... Is, at least like, like now, you can see through it. And the water on the ground is not just all a sea. There's a sea and there is dry land. Can you see the progression in this? Mm-hmm. What God has started, uh, talking about is a very primitive earth in the day one and moving, uh, t- uh toward some order. And then you get the order expressed quite clearly. That by day four the atmosphere is cleared up. There is an atmosphere. There there is dry land. There is water collected in oceans and rivers, and the firmament, the sky, now is clear. Sunlight can get through, and all of the benefits of sunlight are available. And by day four, and and uh, so there can be vegetation. Go to the uh, second day. Uh, on the uh, second day. It says, and God made the expanse, which is really the the firmament or the clearing of, of the atmosphere. And God separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. There's moisture in the air, yes, but we can see through it. And then the water is on the earth. And God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Now you notice nobody's got a time clock ticking here. I really love what Schroeder says about keeping time. He he would say this if you could have been riding the big bang when God said let there be here comes all that there is from nothing. The whole universe explodes. You could almost ask the question, why didn't the universe just explode like a firecracker and that was it? But it didn't. It exploded and was not a destructive explosion, if you will, the Big Bang. It's a creative explosion. But if we could have been there riding a a rocket ship from the beginning, point zero, by the time, Russ Schroeder says, by the time we would have ridden 24 hours, one day, we would have been moving near the speed of light initially. And we would have come 8 billion years compared to a man now standing here on the earth and checking it with a stopwatch. Does that make sense to you? When you're moving at the speed of light, time stands still. And in the early part of the creation, um, everything was blowing itself out from everything else so fast that it is a reasonable figure that the first day would have lasted in our way of taking time, counting time, 8 billion years. But then, of course, it slowed. Second day would have been 4 billion years. Third day, 2. Fourth day, one billion, fifth day, a half a billion, sixth day, 250,000 years. And you count that all up and it comes to about 16 billion years, which is what most people believe is a, a reasonable uh, length of time that it would take to have a universe. Do you all know how big the universe is? No. I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think it's darn big. <laughs> okay. Uh, and if you are going to start from one point of nothingness, and you're going to get a universe that we've got right now, it's going to take some time to blow that baby out there. And who, uh, who, d- who discovered, was it? Who discovered that the, I'm not remembering well, somebody help me out, that uh, the looking at the, the temperature of what's out, uh, that's out in space. And looking at the cooling effect. And looking at the, uh, uh, shall we move on Bob? Yeah. I said Al Gore. It's <laughs> Al Gore. I, 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 can, I can appreciate that. Al Gore has shown us that it will take a while for the universe to have gotten this big. Y'all, y'all see this stuff, it pops up on your email all the time, right? Just pictures of galaxies, you know. Just. Uh huh. Yes. Yes. Well, I would and I would really invite you to read Schroeder. Remember, this is a believing. This man's a believing Jew, and he believes the scripture is correct. I love reading behind him. Uh, it doesn't get in the way of my faith at all. Okay, moving on. Then, on day two, you get the 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 water and the dry land getting separated and if you get water and the water has settled down, it's capable now of uh having fish so where do we think life started in the water and what do we think was the second kind of of uh stuff it was uh uh reptilian and and fowl water and fowl you go to the third day. And on the third day, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees and fruit on it. And by the uh, sixth day, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. You're going to have living creatures walking around on the land. you got to have something for them to eat. And here's the water moving from uh, creatures uh, in the water to things that can fly to things that can walk around. And then God's crowning achievement... Man, God must have wanted man a bunch, because he sure has been a pain ever since God made him, you know, made in the image of God. So God made us a whole bunch like him, but, and I've said this before, I, I don't think God been in the slightest surprise that man sinned, God knew man was going to sin when he made him. Why would God invite himself in for that kind of trouble? When you read through these first chapters of Genesis, what a mess! The first two, you know, haven't been there but terribly, not terribly long, walking and talking with God, you know, in the garden, having a, a marvelous, would you like to have that experience? God come down in be cool even and talk with you and visit with you and love you? And these idiots... Are listening to the lies uh, of the serpent and in no time flat, they disobeyed God and and then it, I think it, the interesting thing that the Bible tells us about that disobedience God said, why were you hiding? Oh, we were naked Who told you you were naked? And the only answer Adam could say is I told myself. Why? Because there was something the matter inside of him <clears throat> He now was rebellious against God. He was no longer obedient to God. He's rebellious against God. And we know that sin brings death, and the death of his innocence was there. We were we were naked. That's why we died. And I guess the first sign, we're moving toward starting to talk about redemption. The first thing that God did that shows this shedding of blood for redemption Y'all, y'all remember that? Y'all, 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 some y'all been reading this too. God made for them covered clothes out of the skin of animals. God had to kill an animal to make them clothes. Sin always causes of death. And let me see if I'm done talking about the creation. Let me, let, let me go back and say this. Why God created the universe? We just plain don't know. There's nowhere in Scripture He's going to tell it to us in a simple, straight line. But if Jesus Christ is the Lamb slain from before the the creation of the earth, then God had to know way back in eternity, which really is not the right way to say it, is it? If God is eternal and God is an I Am, there is no way back and no going to be. Y'all with that? Is that okay? God lives, God, God knows, period. And so I, I just can't believe that a God like that is surprised by anything that we've ever done, that you've ever done, or even what I've ever done. Yes, sir. Just a thought that came to me, I'm sure you know that energy and matter are interchanged. Can you imagine how much infinitesimal part of God's energy he used in creating the world? I mean, the entire universe. He must have had so much energy in him that he, he needed to, he didn't need to do it, but he used just a little bit of. It's, it's, it's still, phenomenal. It it's is. absolutely phenomenal. And the scripture has it right. How, where did the creation come from? And God said the breath of his mouth. I mean, we know that's, that's foolish talk. But God purposed it. When God said, this is what I want to do. There it is. And what we know in quantum physics, well even our our resident uh theologian Albert Einstein, said that mass and energy are really the same thing in different forms. And we're gonna actually believe that all of this solid stuff we've got, we need to be believing that it really is nothing but energy, very, very, very tightly held together. We can say that and <clears throat> act like we know what we're saying. <clears throat> but it's you know, it's kind of foolishness that there is this tremendous amount of energy uh bound up. And that's what stuff is, bound up energy. If you do the multiplier out of uh Einstein's theory E equal to mc squared. C squared I think is something like 35 billion. Speed of light squared 189, is that 189,000 squared? It's uh, I think it's like 35 million. So that, that we are to think that we Are really, mostly (laughs) space. And very little of us. Quantum physics can change your theology in a hurry. (laughs) What is God doing? And I've said this before. Um, God is using in his creation, he is doing this to tell us who he is, what he's like, and what he intends. I think that's what creation is all about. Creation. God's way. How many are up there in the Angelicos? Who he is, what he's about, and what he intends. Knowing that man would sin, then you're going to have to say God is dedicated to loving and redemption from the get go. It is absolutely a way of talking about him, about God himself. And God says that to the Hebrew children later on I am the Lord, tender in mercy, long suffering, forgiving. Loving you. God said that in so many different ways. Uh, he could have erased, um, Adam and Eve right there and started all over again. We remember to, uh, enough creation stuff. We remember that in the, in the story leading up to Noah. Sin is a terrible mess in us human beings. God cursed the world not just the human beings, but for them the effect of sin is spiritual death, separation from God, a sense of knowing that they're sinners and knowing that there's or there's difficulty between um, them and God. But not only that, the earth is cursed. And particularly, have any of y'all ever seen an animal born, um, a cow or a horse, or a um, pictures of a giraffe only dro- dropping a baby on his head from about six or eight feet high.
1: Only on city slicker.
0: Yeah. But, but there is no real indication that the animal is having a terrible amount of pain. You don't hear a horse. You know, going, oh, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. You know? um, while the horse is having the baby, the horse is quiet and the horse has the baby. And, and the scripture says God God put a, a, a curse on the human race that childbearing would be painful for women. You go on from that and look at what happened to the first two brothers. How far did we get down the road? Not only their mom and dad screwed up their very cozy and wonderful relationship with God. What happens in the first two brothers? Let's see. One of them got angry with the other brother and never spoke to him anymore. Is that it? Okay. Kills him. You know, he wants to start off with a bang, doesn't he? He's so mad with his brother that he kills him. And if you read from that part of Genesis over to the story of Noah, you can see God suffering in the hard-heartedness and viciousness and the amount of murder that there is on the earth. It's not pickpocketing, you know, and cheating on your taxes. Uh It's a... Uh, The earth is is a terrible place and people are uh, hard-headed and self-willed and disregarding God. Um, When was it? Somebody help me on where this was. I tried to find it today. In those days there was no law and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Judges. Judges. It's before, it's before, it's in that process of setting up judges after Joshua. after Moses is gone. Every man did that which, which was right in his own eyes. Don't we love doing that? You know Every one of us loves our own opinion. And I want to tell you, friends, my own opinion in doing what I thought was right in my own eyes, ain't that a very good way for me to go? you know all understand? We are perfectly capable of messing it up something fierce. And Uh, Unfortunately, according to the scripture, I'm jumping ahead now, we still remain sinners after we're saved. Is that right? Is anybody in here perfect other than me? Some of us were told that we ought to be. Uh, But the imperfection of us uh, means that we still have that, that capacity. And it really broke God's heart. <clears throat> again, not that God didn't know that His heart was going to be broken, as I said, but it still was painful to God. And and He found a man uh called Noah. I mean, you could say, "Why didn't God know that he, if He took it down to eight people, those eight could start to trouble right fresh all over again?" But nevertheless, God did it. Wiped out everybody. Says eight of them. And it wasn't a long time after that then, you know, and no time flat of uh, those that landed back on the dry land or back to their usual doings, right? So oh, do what yes, question. yes. As I was
1: reading along all this and there's Cain and Abel and there's the wives and there's yeah. going, Where did all
0: these other people go? Well they they <laughs> the married their brothers and sisters, even Abraham did that. It's got they gotta be. It, either that or you have to believe it. God created some other people even well, to talk right, about it yeah. in the Bible. The answer is, as far as I'm certain, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, mean I, I, I don't know. But, but in those days, genetics would say, I mean, if people can live a long time, means their genes were pretty good. And, and you would suppose that uh, people initially married their brothers and sisters. Abraham, The father of faith marriage is half-sister, Sarah. Okay, so here is this mess that is in the world that God knew about. God's already got the plan for fixing the mess. The plan is the Messiah. And you get through all of that mess, go to Noah. um, From Adam to Noah, I think the scriptures has nine generations. Abraham's a pretty early guy. Abram is ten generations after Noah. The folks live in a long time. Abraham probably knew an oldest son, Shem. But here's where... Now, I'm done talking about... I'm not really done, but I'll quit talking about the creation. The second thing that jumped out to me in rereading it again is the fantastic extent to which God has gone to save us. The story of redemption. It completely overwhelms the story of, of sin. Someone said in the creation, life outwits the second law of thermodynamics. That is everything. It goes into chaos. Life is, uh, the fact that we are alive, if you will, stands right in the face of that Everything dead deteriorates. You with me? Here we are alive. There's something about being alive. So, whether it's something about being alive physically or being alive spiritually. Spiritual death is a, a deteriorating mess. Spiritual life is eternal. So, God is, we get this horrible story now in Genesis of what a mess it is in the world after sin gets there. And we get down to the next part of this is the fellow named Abram. He's not, he's a very early guy. Abraham's father left, um, you you, you all know about the Garden of Eden, the Tigris and Euphrates River flow down to the Persian Gulf. Right just above the tip of the, down where they come together, is a place called Ur, Ur of the Chaldees. That's where Abraham's father was. God called him to go to the land of Canaan. He takes his family, including Abraham, and he takes his brother's son, because his brother died over there, Lot, Abraham's nephew. And they go north, northeast, out going up the Euphrates uh, Valley. And they end up at well, about where Syria and Turkey come together. You drew the Mediterranean Sea and got up in the northeastern corner, right up from there is where they are. And that's the land where Abraham's father went and settled. Don't know what happened to him, but he didn't keep going. You get to the twelfth chapter of Genesis. Here's what it says. And God said to Abraham, Get up out of here and go to a place that I want you to go. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. Will you do it? And here's Abraham's salvation. Abraham said, Yes, sir. I'll do it. Abraham believed God. And we could get... We're going to spend the rest of the time on that. Abraham believed God, and God counted it to Abraham for righteousness. Get that straight. An unrighteous man is now considered righteous by God because he responds to the Holy Spirit speaking to him, the voice of God speaking to him, and he responds to God giving him enough faith to be able to say, yes, yes. Paul tells us in Ephesians very clearly, none of us that are dead spiritually can do anything. We can't even call on God. Jesus says that to a group that he is talking to in, in John, St. John the 6th chapter. He said, no no man, he's just uh, fed them A whole bunch of people walked on the water and the people catch back up to him and they said, hey listen, we think you've got something going on here. We'd we like to get in on it. Jesus said in that, no man can come to me unless the Father draws him. None of us can by our own wit get ourselves to God. The whole, the whole thing belongs to God. It's God calling us. So God says to Abraham, this is what I want you to do. And Abraham says, yes, sir, I'll do it. And God did it him yeah. for righteousness. That means God made Abraham holy in God's sight, put his stamp on him, and claimed him as his own. And from that point on, God forgets all of the sin Abraham has ever done. You can check me out on this, Malone, and read it. And all the rest of the sin that Abraham might do is covered under salvation. Jesus died for sin one time, Romans of uh, Hebrews says, one time. So when God saved you and saved me, he saved us, period. And he has forgiven our sins. And given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing our redemption. So God takes an unrighteous man and makes him elsewhere it says, and God says, and their sins and wickedness, I will not remember against them any more. I won't remember it. You think, you think God was kind of cheating on that? Yeah, I'm going to really remember it. i just going to act like I don't remember it. You think God doesn't remember your sin? Wouldn't you like to be able to believe God really doesn't even remember any of the sin you've ever done? Because he's forgiven it and moved it out of his vision? The scripture says that. What shall we say about Abraham, our forefather? What he discovered in this matter? In fact, if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was credit. God gave him credit. Put him in credit was credited to him as righteousness. Now this is Paul writing. Now he's going to pick up on David, And he said to the man who does not work or do any kind of religious work, like they said to Jesus in John 6, well, will Lord, tell us, what is the work that God requires for us to get what it is you're telling us that you want us to be? This is where he's saying, I am the bread of life. He's doing some I am talk to. And he said, here's what the work it is that God requires of you. Believe on the one he sent. I said, sounds almost like what we read about Abraham, doesn't it? Abraham believed God. You want to become a Christian? Believe on the one he sent. And then listen to David. David says the same thing when he speaks of the righteousness of the man to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, apart from any deserving it at all. Are y'all with that? That's what salvation is, friend. It is the gracious, gracious, enormously gracious, loving gift of God who gives us Himself. And we don't deserve it at all. Not even a little teeny bit. We are gods because He decided to make us him. We are gods because he, he determined that He would make us and make us a whole lot like Him. And we won't talk about the, the and then, well, I will. And ultimately, he's going—he's going to put a permanent. Yes, he, he, he has put the permanent cure on our flaw. We just haven't lived long enough on this stage to see the end of it yet. Y'all, you know, with that, God's going to bring us to heaven with Him. He's going to give us eternal life, and sin and death and sorrow and dying and all that will go away. I have no idea how long it's going to take God to finish that out and for us to get there. And it'll probably be while we're living in eternal life. But let me finish this david says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness to whom god credits righteousness apart from works blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered this is even more blessed is the man whose sin the lord will never count against him that's pretty darn plain isn't it blessed is a man um gee whiz that does that kind of free you up Have you thought about that when I first found the Lord, I didn't find the Lord, the Lord found me. When the Lord first found me, I was an 11-year-old kid. I had no theology, okay? mm-hmm. you know? just a kid. I liked baseball. And He blew my mind that day when he saved me. Just frightened the whole world, up. I can't even think about it, and contained myself. But he had me in a small group of people who were into what's called Wesleyan holiness. Y'all you know about that? And Wesleyan Holiness, Wesleyan Holiness does not believe what I've just been reading, or what I've just said. When God forgives your sins, He you gives all of your sins, ones in the past. Because He knows what you're going to do in the future. He's, he's not, you know, God's not playing to come up and say, hey, look here, look I saved you back there, you know what I mean, I do a whole bunch for you. But recently, you've been screwing up pretty good. I think we might have to renegotiate this. God, God's not doing that with us. And there are people, though, who preach that once you have been saved, that when you sin, that sin destroys your whole salvation. Y'all ever heard anybody doing that? Am I the only one that's ever heard of that? It's called Wesleyan Holiness. It's called Two Works in Man of Salvation. Malone knows about it. He knows, he knows enough about it not to talk about it. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what else it, it destroys. That, this, this line of thinking that I'm trying to propagate. Bites really into we are former Catholics here. It really bites into Catholic theology because what does Catholic theology say? Once you get saved, you come in and you're baptized. You are now being called upon by God to create acts of genuine righteousness and holiness. The real saints pile up a bunch of those. They have extra credit. It is in the bank vault of heaven. And for folks like me and Jerry Prophet. They um I we, hate your example. <laughs> <laughs> Sir I hate your example. You know <laughs> that that the Catholic theology says that some extra can be given to folks like us, but first we're gonna spend a fair amount of time in purgatory. I'd spend a bunch of time in purgatory. You've counted by that, by that
1: method. Probably so with Jerry. <laughs> yeah. um, we're gonna leave Jerry alone now. Sorry, Jerry.
0: Y'all understand that point? <laughs> Catholic theology says you, yes, you took communion last week, but this week you sinned right before that truck ran over you and killed you. Therefore, you've got an unconfessed sin, and because of your unconfessed sin, uh, you you're in you're in big trouble. And you're going to have to go work it off in purgatory. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. We're not going there. we are not going there in the slaves. That's not the scripture. There is no work you and me can do to please God. There's nothing that we can do to buy his favor. God decided to love you, Bob, just because he decided to love you. Because you're God's child and he loves you. And that's it. Salvation is... Is that free, and it is that that uh, complete, and therefore there is nothing that we can do before we are saved. We absolutely nothing there because we're dead people. There's nothing we do after we've been saved to merit anything, to build up brownie points with God. He doesn't operate like that. Oh, yes. Saying that God doesn't keep. He does not keep a scorecard. Come over to my house this afternoon, there will be a scorecard. You have to be lucky, you might win ten dollars. Well, God doesn't play that game. Yes? Paul, the, the bottom line of all of this is our dependence upon God. Absolutely. The dependence upon God's love, God's grace, everything. And but Without that, we... Yes. Now, maybe this is bigger thing for me, because I talk about this from time to time. Because in my teenage years, I was living with a bunch of people that were saying, "Look, you know, whatever you're doing, you need, you need, you need to be, you need to be good, because if you're not." And I had to fight my way through. Well, I know that I'm not doing everything perfectly right. You know, I'm telling too many dirty jokes, Um, and and a variety of other things that had me questioning. And it took me up to to about 20 years of age. And you know what? How I came to it. I figured out that God done had too many opportunities to throw me away. If He if He had put me on a on a trial basis, I'd have been gone goose long before then. And I began to relax and trust God. And when I was reading this and thinking again, I haven't in a while stopped and thought much about the idea of just putting attention to the idea that yes, when God forgave us, He forgave us for everything. There are two other words and then I'm gonna quit. Confession and repentance. The life of, of a real Christian is characterized by confession and repentance. The repentance idea, the confession idea is not that I've got some some a little bit of backlog here and I need to go back and confess to God so that He will forgive me. You with that now? No uh that's not what my confession is about. Confession says, by its definition. In degree, I'm saying the same thing that God said. What's God say about me? Beecham, you're out on, you're out on a limb on that one. You're, you, 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 you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not modeling who I want you to be. Confession says, yes, Lord, I realize that. Repentance says, and I'm going to clean that up in my life. I've come to, I've come to a place in my life and you have too. There are some certain activities and characteristics and habits out of me that I, I can't go back to. Go with me. There are things that God's brought me away from, and I'll I'll just, you can call them attitudes and behaviors on my part, that confession means I've, I've had the Holy Spirit working on me long enough that I'm beginning to see it. I'm beginning to see sin for its sinfulness and its destructiveness to me. I confess. I agree with God. That is not who I need to be if I'm really going to be your servant and I'm really going to be your disciple. Repentance says, I change what I'm doing. I change the way I'm doing. And I quit doing it the old way and I don't go back there no more. If I do screw up and go back there, God's still the same loving, forgiving God. He's still not playing the gotcha game. But for the Christian Confession and repentance is not a matter of getting new sins forgiven. You with me? God's taking care of that. God's taking care of that. It's to bring me into better fellowship with God. Maybe it means to even restore the fellowship if I've been off on on a tangent of my own for a little too long. Come back and restore and refresh and grow and deepen my faith and deepen my discipleship. Does that make sense? That's what I got out of written Genesis. A real appreciation, fresh appreciation, not just for what God has done for me, but what He is doing for me. For what God is wanting to do in me, and for the fact that it is the Holy Spirit in us that convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. Of sin, to know the difference between sin and goodness. And judgment, the good news about judgment, there is no judgment awaiting those of us that are in Christ. There is no judgment. We have already been judged. God judged all Christians on the cross through the death of Jesus Christ. That was our judgment. And we got a pretty good thing going, folks. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And we have God's Word to instruct us. Uh, I've just been blessed for about two weeks thinking about this. It's time quit Christmas, quit Our Father, Your goodness is so good. It's hard to contain the joy that You give us over over loving and caring for us as You do. So we thank You for an opportunity as a group of Your children to gather and think on these things together. Will You go with us from here and and bless us and and, uh, keep us and stir us, stir in our minds uh, through the Holy Spirit, stir us up to be those... Uh, Who will be true disciples of Jesus Christ? His name, praise.
1: Thank you, Paul. Are we not incredibly blessed to have that brain in here with us? Whoa, that one's not working, huh? Well, uh, okie dokie, we, well, it doesn't matter, I'll holler. Our Bible verse, and we're still talking about love. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And you remember last week it was love your neighbor as yourself. So we're working on that. But I want to give you just a couple more words about that. After I was reading it this morning, I went to find my key Bible that I travel with. If I can see it with these glasses. Uh, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So we've been talking a lot about God this morning, and thank you, Paul. Let's don't skip church this week because we're getting counted, you know, and keep our prize. So I hope you have a great week. It's been fun to be with you again.